Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Almost 11 months ago, we launched The Lincoln Project with the goal of defeating Donald Trump and his enablers. It's been a long year and a very long night. Everything we've done in the last 11 months has led us to tonight. Every conversation, every ad, every podcast, every town hall has led us to this moment. We didn't get the landslide we hoped for or the repudiation we needed to stop Trumpism in its tracks. But as of right now, we remain, as expected, confident that Trump will be defeated and Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. Nothing we've done would be possible without the millions of people who have watched and shared our ads, hundreds of thousands of people who have donated to help take down Trump, all of our listeners, and every person who put country over partisanship and voted for Joe Biden. Because each and every one of you have played such a crucial role in this movement, I wanted to take you behind the scenes of The Lincoln Project on election night. Over the course of this episode, you'll hear from some of the many people who have worked day in and day out to defeat Donald Trump. We'll check in with different team members throughout the night about what's happening, how it could impact the results of the election, and how the room is feeling. Welcome to Election Night with The Lincoln Project. I'm Ron Steslow. All right. So it's about five o'clock PM mountain time right now. And I'm sitting here with Reed Galen, who I often introduce as the captain on this voyage. He's an independent political strategist and you've heard him a lot on the weekly roundups that we do. But Reed, I wanted you to talk a little bit about What's different about tonight, given the many campaign election nights that you've experienced and you know what they're usually like and what, what's different about tonight? Well, the thing about all election nights is that for all of the days, weeks, months, in some cases, years that folks put into uh, especially presidential campaigns or national campaigns or statewide campaigns, is that it's all over but the crying at this point. Um, the voters are in charge. They're doing their thing. The folks from volunteers to part-time employees to full-time employees to elected officials who are responsible for tabulating the ballots, they're, they're doing their job. And so now everybody is a spectator from President Donald Trump on down to the 18-year-old who's about, you know, cast their first ballot. And so it is a time of great excitement. <clears throat> There's a great tension. Um, and that could be both good and bad. I think in 20. 20, it is different because so much of it feels similar to 2016 when it looked like it was going to be a blowout for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump ended up winning. 2020 is a much different race and I think it will be a different outcome, but that scar tissue runs wide and deep in most of the country. You know, there's also this, what I call the campaign blues, which is after all this time, after all this work, the, the adrenaline that has built up over all this time is now starting to run out of you. 
And so yeah. a lot of folks, not, not only on our team, but on campaigns across the country from dog catcher to president are going to wake up. Even if you don't drink, you're going to feel a little bit hungover. <laughs> um, and you're just going to, the next couple of days are going to be weird because it's like driving a car 900 miles an hour and then slamming on the brakes and getting out and like sitting down. Yeah. And so it's just, a, it's, it's very unique to politics. There's not a lot, of, a lot of other organizations that you spin up so quickly to do so much work that then come to an immediate end <clears throat> and there's nothing left to do. Um, you know, the lawyers are getting ready to do the things they do. We have some lawyers getting ready to do that stuff, but for the most part, you know, other than the, an, an, you know, the analysts on television, there's not a lot to do yeah. other than sort of hold on for, yeah. for dear life. Yeah. You mentioned like driving a car 900 miles and then getting out in 900 miles an hour, getting out, standing still. I always get sick after an election. Like <laughs> sure. I actually, I, I actually sure. always get like physically sick because you know, for the, for at least nine months prior to that, mm -hmm. I'm pushing myself as hard as possible, as hard sure. as humanly possible, working our asses off. And, and then all that eventually catches up to you and takes a physical toll. And I, you know, I'm buckled up for that tomorrow, sure. but no, I think that's right. You know, again, I think it's all part of the thing that the emotional, um, the emotional, the physical and the psychological yeah. excitement that comes with a campaign has the flip side, which is it, it takes a little bit of a toll on you. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most folks, that's why they disappear after election day, win, lose, or draw, because everybody needs a break. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> you got to yeah. get some sleep. You got to do something other than look at Twitter all oh day gosh, or look yeah. at survey results or approve ad copy or yeah. make sure the latest spot got on the air yeah. and all the other stuff. And so, you know, the truth is, is that um, what's funny is that, you know, because, you know, we took on at the Lincoln Project all the auspices of a campaign yeah, and in yeah. some ways a party, right? Right. Which we're not either. Which we're of those. not either of those things. Right. Um, look, we have, you know, under your leadership, an incredibly successful and popular podcast. Most super PACs don't do that. <laughs> That's right. right? <laughs> it's so a really like, weird thing we, for we a super have PAC these to town do. <laughs> halls, right. With tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that tuning in. And so we, we've sort of broadened our, you know, I think what we believe is our understanding of how to reach voters. Right. Um, that's a good thing because it gives us so many outlets. It's a bad thing because it's a lot to keep up with. The other part too is because we are not the Biden campaign or the Trump campaign or most of these Senate campaigns, like there's at least one, if not two Senate runoffs coming in Georgia this week, yeah. which we'll be right back into. Yeah. Um, and so while it's not the overarching and expansive need to be going 17, 18 hours a day with dozens of ads dropping out the, the bomb yeah, day every day. Yeah. We got work to every do week. Still. There's still work to do between yeah. now and, you know, January 5th. Yeah. Um, while we're sort of figuring out, okay, you know, we've all talked a little bit about where we go next, but sort of, you know, maneuvering the battleship into yeah. a different, you know, different position as we move forward. And don't worry, folks, you're going to hear a lot more about that in the days and weeks to come. You are not, um. you're not lucky <laughs> enough to get rid of us. I promise you that. <laughs> So given all that, mm -hmm. what, what do you think is characteristically different about this particular election night versus, you know, when, when all the other campaigns that you've been on come to an end, win or lose, there's a different kind of energy to this one. Um, at least there is for me. And I, and, you know, folks have asked me this and I've had difficulty putting it into words, but it just feels like there's so much more at stake and there's also nothing left for us to do. Tonight. Right. Which is, which is, again, I think what, what creates a lot of, you know, in a lot of folks, the, that sort of unease, yeah. um, it's not fear. It's not right, dread. Right. It's like, 
it's like that that stuck you're betwixt in between. Right. You know there's nothing left to do. You're in limbo somewhere. You're in limbo yeah. and and all you have to do is wait. And I felt that way frankly yesterday on Monday, which was my worst part about Monday was that we still had Tuesday. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. It just was 48 <laughs> hours to wait. 24. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. we'll do this. Yeah. Um, but I think that's right. I think that, you know, again, there's not a, there, as of probably Thursday or Friday last week, right? I mean, you guys know on, with your, with the digital team, it was even two weekends ago that we had to have all of our digital ads yeah. produced because yeah. of all these silly blackouts they put in place. Um, and the, with the way that you buy TV and broadcast and cable television, we really had to have everything done Thursday or Friday right. to be able to be up for right. today and tomorrow. So it's, <clears throat> you know, you, were sort, you sort of back up four or five days and say, okay, what am I going to do now? And also there's that other piece, which is you look out and you're like, what am I going to do with all this time? Yeah. And yeah. what I told someone years ago is all that time you now have is called life. <laughs> like you should go, <laughs> it's called you, normal should go life. you should go take advantage of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Y'all, it is a nonstop operation up until this point. It really is. Ron, before I go, cause I know you're talking to, you know, just about everybody uh, on the team tonight. I just want to say thank you to everyone. First, the dozens of folks on the Lincoln project staff, um, the dozens of interns we've had and the mm -hmm. volunteers, thousands, tens of thousands of them across the country who um, maybe I've spoken to on a phone call or a, or a town hall. But I just want to say thanks to everybody. The hundreds of thousands of people who've contributed from $1 all the way up to many dollars. Nearly half a million now. Nearly half a million, which is just an incredible thing. Um, and then the millions of people, whether or not they're on our email list or they follow us on social media who have joined us and you really have joined us on this journey. Yeah. We are not, yeah. we, without you, this pirate ship would be, would be a skiff, right? With yeah. a, like a battered old sail on it. So I just want to say thank you to everybody. Um, I can't wait to be able to share with everybody what comes next, but that'll be coming soon. And I just want to say, Ron, you know, you, 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 you refer to me as the captain and I, I take that as the height <laughs> of respect and, and, and friendship. But I also want to say that, you know, without you, what we're doing right here right now would not have happened. This, this was singularly your success. It was your brainchild and you made it fly. And so I could not be prouder. Thanks, Ben. It's now 5.45 p.m. Mountain Time, and we're now sitting in the podcast studio, which I pulled you guys out of the other room where we're watching the results, and um, and we were just watching what's happening in Florida, Mike, and it's too early to call most of the states. We don't really know anything yet, and we're still kind of in limbo, so Mike? Yeah, the like, funny thing about a campaign at this time is you're getting data in, and it's kind of meaningless but it's new information and it's exciting and there are not enough precincts in to kind of tell you anything right. and they're geographically dispersed. Yeah. And then you try to assess the ideological makeup of the County and the precincts that it's coming in with. Yeah. And by the time you kind of figure that out, there's a new batch of votes exactly. coming in. Yeah. And then you realize this is not helpful. Exactly. It's actually confusing <laughs> things more than it's answering yeah. more yeah. questions. And, and everybody's coming up into you asking you, well, what does yeah, that, what does that mean? mean? It's, it's, it's mean? just feeding the yeah. mental illness that we all suffer yeah. from to begin yeah. with. Yeah. 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 It's really funny that like all the questions, you know, everybody wants to know and all those questions really are just betraying the anxiety that we're feeling. Right. 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 That's exactly right. Yeah. And they're looking for answers and there really are no answers. It's like reading tea leaves. That's why I try to this eat point. at this moment. Just yeah, kind of have right. a full mouth yeah. of food and just be like, oh, <laughs> I interrupted this my is so weird and pulled for, to pull them up here, folks. <laughs> and, and it's not the same for you. This is so weird for me because I'm East Coast. Yeah. I, all my political, all my election nights are East Coast. 
we know first. Yeah, we know like, first. Like, you know what That's I mean? Right. It comes to us yeah. first. And and so as I'm sitting here watching my East Coast bellwethers come in yeah. and looking at the, like, yeah. it just feels, it's out of sync to me. Yeah. Well, it's just, right. you know, it just feels out of sync to me for yeah. some reason. It does kind and, of feel weird. Yeah. yeah. So how are you feeling, Mike? I feel confident. I mean, I still feel the same fundamentally the way that I have for the past few weeks looking at the way we have assessed and analyzed the race. There's nothing that we can do, which never makes me feel better saying that, but you got to kind of say that because there's nothing you can do about it. And then the key is really to step back and understand that the data, the data points that we're getting are not complete. And I try to follow the advice that I've been giving to so many others this election cycle, which is don't chase partial data sets or you will go down a rabbit hole. And so I'm not doing that. I'm just kind of, you know, taking it easy, taking a deep breath. Yeah. Some counties look great. Some counties look bad. Some counties, you know, and, but none of it, it, none of it, there's not enough data to give you a full picture yet. So we're just going to, we're just right. going to wait. And we're not going to make any new predictions. So numbers aside, how are you feeling? Um, I'm a blend between exhausted and exhilarated. You know, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. I do feel like the last three weeks have been, you know, like that runner who's just totally gassed in the last leg of the race and is just struggling. Like this, this is, t- this one's taken a toll on me. And I kind of say, well, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit older. It's not. This was, this was an exceptionally burdensome race on all of us personally, uh, physically. It's just, it was a lot. You know, it's a lot. And you know why? In many ways, we were the candidates as well as the consultants. Oh, yeah. You know? People yeah. coming after us and attacking us, questioning us personally. And and that takes a toll. I mean, Jennifer, you're really kind of the only person who's run for office in, in the group. So you probably yeah. know this a little better than than most of us do. But then you're also trying to do your job and do it effectively when the when the microscope and is on you nationally and the criticism from both sides is coming. And you know you you damn well better be right. And you also got to manage your own state of mind. Yeah. How are you feeling, Jennifer? I feel empowered and bold. And um I just wanna I just wanna keep finding ways to to grasp this moment and to really hold on to it, you know. Um, Mike is right. When I was a candidate, and but even more so when I was chairman of the party, um People come after you and it's personal and it's ugly and you develop a thick skin. So that part of this has not bothered me as much maybe as it would have otherwise. I'm used to it. And, um, you know, call me, I, I've been called so much worse in my in my days in Republican politics, unfortunately. Um, but there is something about that, because mo- we've all been on this path since before Trump won, right? None, there's nobody in our group who was for Trump in 2016. Or, or thought maybe he'd be a good president and now we're disappointed. That's not any of us. But it wasn't until we all came together last November and December that suddenly it felt like, like that was when I started to feel empowered. Yeah. Like, wait, there's, maybe we can do this. There, there's a path to achieve what we've all been sort of trying to go after individually for the last three, the last three years. And um, there is something very empowering about saying, I don't care about the 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 blowback. Call me whatever you want. You're wrong. I know I'm right, yeah. and I'm going to say it. And I'm going to not going to let go of it. And and through this whole thing, I've said I'm not going to let Donald Trump bully me out of my party. I'm not going to let Donald Trump be the one who uh, decides 
you know, my destiny or the trajectory of, of what I do. Um, and I, it feels really good yeah. to have embraced it and done it. And I, and I didn't, I didn't let go. I didn't let myself be bullied into silence. I didn't let myself get pushed off what I knew was the right path. So tonight, I feel confident about what I think the ultimate outcome is going to be. But regardless of that, yeah. I feel so good about what we did. I feel real, and I'm so proud to be working with Mike Madrid and Ron Steslo <laughs> and the whole rest of the team. I really am. I know. So I feel I feel really good right now. I'm glad you Thank asked me that because good. I hadn't really thought it yeah. through yet. Yeah. Because I have the anxiety and the nervousness and all, yeah, just like yeah, everybody yeah, else. Yeah. But I feel strong. So. It's about 6.40 p.m. Mountain Time, and results are starting to come in. The New York Times has called Vermont, Massachusetts, <laughs> Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and Illinois for Joe Biden, and West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Oklahoma for Donald Trump. And right now, it looks like Florida is going to swing for Donald Trump. I'm uh, I'm sitting here with two of the most legendary ad makers in Republican politics, <laughs> Rick Wilson and Stuart Stevens. And they agreed to take a few minutes away from the, the other room to talk to us about how they're feeling. So Rick, Florida looks like Florida. So we're not going to make it. It's Florida. Look, it's Florida. <laughs> and, and this is one of the things that why Florida is such a complicated state for Democrats. It is not a progressive state. It is not a liberal state. It has a liberal tip in Broward, Palm Beach, and Dade County. But Donald Trump managed to run up the numbers with Cuban-American voters by scaring the shit out of them about socialism. And the Biden campaign did not effectively countervail on that. They did not push back on it. And, you know, we've seen some interesting outcomes in Florida. We've seen... Uh, Seminole County break for Joe Biden. That is a, where we put a lot of resources into our Puerto Rican communications. Uh, we've seen Duval County break for Joe Biden, where we did a lot of stuff on military and veterans issues. Um, and and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be outside the margin for Trump. It's not a huge triumph. Uh, it's going to be smaller than he won in 2016, but it's still going to be a victory uh, as of right now, unless there have been some numbers that we haven't seen roll in. So here's the thing. Donald Trump had no path to victory without Florida at all. So now we're going to have a more interesting evening. Yeah. A longer evening. Mm-hmm. It yeah. Yeah, if, if, if Biden closed up Florida, that would have been the whole ball game. Yeah. So as a Florida man, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing. We could have spent the entire $80 million the Lincoln Project raised yeah. in Florida. Yeah. In about five weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, it's, it's an impossible state to yeah. do this in. And, and again, you know, it's something that people just have to bear in mind. It is, it has got some purple pockets, but like North of I four makes Alabama look like Brookline, <laughs> Massachusetts. I mean, it is, there is a lot of conservative older voters in particular. Now that's the other thing that's interesting is we've seen some drop off with seniors um, but in the places Trump needed them, Sumter County in particular, um, they seem to have held up uh, pretty well. So look, uh, 
here's the thing. And I've been, I've been a Florida skeptic for a long time on the, in this campaign. I've been saying it for a while. It's one of the reasons we didn't pour more money into Florida. Yeah. You've, um, you've said probably weekly guys, it's Florida. Right. I, I, I really have. And, and, and so look, it's, it's, it's not the greatest outcome of the night, yeah. but it's also not, it should not be completely shocking. Yeah. What I am sort of at this moment, more yeah. optimistic about is we're seeing fantastic numbers coming out of North Carolina. Yeah. We're seeing fantastic numbers right now still coming out of Texas. Yeah. I mean, you would have, you would blown me away uh, with the idea that Texas was going to be the, the knockout punch. It may well be, we'll see what crazy. happens. We'll see what happens. Really crazy. Still, they still have a lot of time to go to count. Yeah. In uh, Texas. Yeah. So Stuart, what I, what I'm hoping to do tonight is give folks a window, you know, a peek behind the curtain on election night for a campaign as a practitioner. What do you look for on election night? Um, I would look um, at the percentage of white vote that Trump is getting and it's senior citizens. So in that last NBC wall street journal poll, he was getting 51% of the white vote. Um, and I think the NBC Wall Street Journal poll is as good as any of the public polls, probably better than most. By comparison, McCain lost with 55% of the white vote. Romney lost with 59% of the white vote. Mm-hmm. Last time, Trump got 59% of the vote. But Trump won with 46.1% of the electorate. Romney lost with 47.2%. So if indeed he's getting anything under 55% of the white vote, I don't see a path for Trump to win. Um, and seniors, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been involved in a winning Republican race where we didn't win seniors, uh, probably by double digits, mm-hmm. you know, but, but certainly mm-hmm. won them. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, that's what I would be looking at. Uh, it's a disappointment in Florida. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen Florida. Um, you know, I did the Bush work for Bush in 2000. It was a nightmare. Um, uh, in 2004, I worked for Mel Martinez, Senator, mm-hmm. and for, mm-hmm. for Bush in Florida, and we, we managed to win. So what has impressed me about the Biden campaign is that they've been very disciplined. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it looks much better than I would have thought of North Carolina. Yeah, it does. It looks much better in Ohio. Texas? Than, than I would have thought. Um, I think, you know, this is sort of like, if you ever saw the movie The Big Short. Yeah. The uh, Republican Party is kind of like Bear Stearns. It's just a question of where it is on the decline. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it, I can't tell you, obviously, the Democrats are going to win Texas tonight. Yeah. But uh, I, I can tell you they're going to win it. I just don't know when. Um, and when they do, that's it. Yeah. It's game over for Republicans. You won't see another Republican president in our lifetime. I mean, you just can't start a presidential race losing California, Illinois, uh, Texas, New York, um, you know, yeah. you just can't get there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I would predict by, you know, 20, 30 something, the big push for Republicans will be to abolish the electoral college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because once Texas goes, and what's yeah. fascinating to me about yeah. Texas, you know, and I, I think if you go back to 1994, when uh, in California, Pete Wilson won his re-election by demonizing Hispanics. And since then, uh, it's been almost impossible to elect a Republican statewide in California. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, which Steve did, was an, uh, and, and Reed did, was an exception. Um, Bush, that same year, 
ran with open arms with Hispanics. Yeah. Um, and since then, it's been almost impossible to lose as a Republican. Um, and I think what's happening is that you're seeing a wearing off of the Bush effect uh, in Texas um, that uh, is, is going to tip the state uh, the other way. So, you know, what I think we're seeing is, is basically the underlying values of the parties playing themselves out. Mm. That um, there's just, you know, the, the question for Republicans is, is there enough white, non-college educated uh, voters out there to win another election? But whether or not they win or lose, it's the fastest declining demographic in America, a large demographic. Yeah. And, and nothing's going to change that. Yeah. How many campaigns have you done? I've done five presidentials. And probably lost count of all the others. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, senators or governor races in over half the country. Yeah. Rick, what about you? <laughs> too many uh, to count. Too many. Yeah. Too many. Yeah. What I mean, especially especially because... And after eight, I transitioned to a lot more super PAC work. So, so countless campaigns and this one's different, right? Like, how do you, how do you feel about tonight versus all of those other election nights? Oh, you know, it's just the existential future of the whole country and the world. So no big deal. <laughs> you know, not, it's not nothing, nothing major, just that. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but look, it does feel different, right? Yeah, it's a different night. And, and look, uh, for me personally, I, I've been in the fight against Trump for five years now. And, and I've, you know, done everything I possibly can to mitigate what this guy's doing to the country. And I am, I am, I look, I, th I think the map is still looking good for tonight. And, you know, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And, and it doesn't mitigate the, the correctness of, of, of the fight I, that we're in. It's, you know, it's fucking Florida, man. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think, I mean, the numbers coming out of Texas right now, yeah. if I were in the Trump campaign, yeah. I would keep this short, this victory lap about Florida under control mm -hmm. because Texas is not looking pretty. And if Texas is in that situation, it's, if it's in that weak of situation right now, I think you're going to end up looking at Arizona, going to Biden. They have some proximate linkage in their, in their, in their electoral behavior. Um, and if Ohio holds firm and Wisconsin and Michigan hold firm, uh, it's not there the, again, like I said in the beginning run, Trump absolutely has to have Florida yeah. to win. Yeah. Without it's it, like there's zero power without, without it. it there's yeah. just nowhere to get, no, no way to get there short of some short of a surprising, uh, repetition of the, of the Northern tier sweep of Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin again. And he's not going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Stuart, is this night different? For you from every other election night that you've... Yeah, um, I think we all, in different ways, um, and, and Rick has been a, a complete hero in this uh, Trump thing, have come to certain truths about the Republican Party. And I wrote about this in a piece of the book. You know, I, I think we're working for the winning side. Normally in a campaign, at least my experience, when you work for the winning side and it, you know, it gets closer, you feel a kind of giddy uh, pleasure out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel that at all yeah. uh, because I feel such sadness about the Republican Party. And, you know, uh, so many of these people I know, I I've never had one conversation with a Republican elected official that would tell you that Donald Trump's qualified to be president. And oh, no. no, no, no not no. one. You know, up until two hours ago. 
Um, and I, I just think it's a complete moral collapse of the party. I have no idea what it means to be a conservative now. So I, I don't know what I'm... I'm fighting for democracy here, and I'm fighting for decency. Um, but with it, tends to, with it, they're overshadowing it. It's, uh, for me personally, just a sense of loss. Um, I feel that. I, yeah. To, to look back on all these races and to think that it helped build something that was positive for the country, um, that would be like a really nice feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't have that feeling. Does it feel like a betrayal? I can't blame anyone for this. I mean, I was there. You know, there's a whole trope of books, if only they had listened to me. Right. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, they did, listen, not, they did listen to me. Right. And this yeah. is where we ended up. Right. So <laughs> I, don't, I can't really say I'm, you know, um, if part of what drew a lot of us to the Republican Party was personal responsibility, which has now been thrown out the window, you know, Republicans are the victim party. I don't see anywhere to begin except for personal responsibility. Uh, and, you know, Stuart, it, uh, a long time ago, somebody said to me, Tools are morally agnostic mm. and we built a lot of tools to persuade voters away from the Democrats in the mm. beginning and moved them to the Republican party. And the tools that have been developed in the last four or five years are an order of magnitude, more powerful and persuasive than anything we ever had with, you know, putting up 2000 gross rating points of TV used to be like a nuclear bomb right. going off. Right. And now you're skipping you know, stones now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the TV costs are so high and, and the digital aspect of it, it's particularly Facebook has become such a powerful persuasion tool that, you know, the Democrats have lagged on digital. This is the great irony because yeah. in 2008, yeah. they yeah. made a full commitment to digital and it was still rickety and primitive and yet it worked yeah. miracles. And it created a whole mythology around uh -huh. the democratic party. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and so, and I, I can tell you this because I was part of the people, part of the group of people after the 2012 election that a couple of famous donor brothers who you may figure out, <laughs> uh, wanted to, to, we put together a group to reverse engineer what they did. Mm -hmm. And so that toolbox was sitting there by the time the 2016 campaign rolled around, they had it in the RNC and they handed it to Donald Trump. Yeah. It's like giving a toddler a chainsaw, yeah. you know, it's going to be gory and horrifying, but it's, you know, maybe, maybe amusing for a few minutes, but it is, it is now having that result. Those tools that, that, the, the, that, and I've written about, I've written a yeah. lot about, a lot about this part yeah. of it. And I said to my democratic friends, they're terrible at holistic politics. Yeah. They're always great at one thing or one other yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, Obama is one of the few campaigns in modern history for the Democrats where they got their shit together on all the different axes at one time, mm -hmm. money, media, message, uh, you know, coalitions, grassroots, mobilization, digital research, poll, all that. Normally Democrats, like I said, they'll be great at one thing. Like the candidate will have a ton of charisma, but it won't, but, but won't have all the look. Imagine if Beto yeah. in Texas combined his charisma with uh, and his great digital program with a with an even better field operation, right? He would have stomped Ted Cruz's brains out. Yep. Um, so you know, look, uh, I don't I don't think it's a sense of it. it, it there, I'm if, five years in now. I'm over the sense of loss about yeah. the GOP. I yeah. really am. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> what it has become is so grotesque that I don't yeah. want to be a part of that. Yeah, and so and so driven by these like petty grievances. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, own the libs has become the replacement for Burke and Kirk and Buckley and Hayek yeah. and, and, and Locke and Mill. And all, I mean, every philosophical underpinning of, of limited government is shut right. with this. So, right. you know, it, it's not, a, I don't see, I don't. The social contract has been eroded. It, 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 it shattered. Well, let's end on a positive note. Okay. Which is Ohio. Ohio's looking good. And Northeast Ohio in particular. Yeah. Uh, Biden's numbers are up in Northeast Ohio right now. He's running about six to eight points ahead of Hillary Clinton. That will also likely have some splash over in Pennsylvania nice. and Western PA. There's so no, there's, you, you drive across that border. You don't make it across. Right. The <laughs> there's no, there's no major, you know, cultural distinction in that. Now what's area. the latest Rick you, in North Carolina? Uh, we are Biden's up about 280 right now. There are a few red counties to come in, but I don't think they're going to make it. I think Biden's going to take North Carolina, which you know. Well, let me say this. so. Yeah, if you if 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 Biden is winning Ohio like this, he's going to win Pennsylvania. Um, There's only nine percent of Pennsylvania in so far, but Biden's well ahead in the nine percent. That's probably all early stuff, though. Yeah. Why do you say that, Stuart? Ohio, oh, it's just the same. Yeah. Uh, same demographics, culture, uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it would what what it would mean. What we saw in polling with him overperforming with whites versus Trump last and Trump underperforming is happening. And um, and Ohio and Pennsylvania are very similar demographically. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the way Trump won before, he overperformed with with uh, with whites. If he's not doing that, there's just not enough humans out there. There's nowhere to go. It would mean sort of the, the theory of the case was standing up. Um, and I think that's, I, I mean, if somebody said to me, you know, uh, will you bet Michigan and I get to like, you know, run you over with the Mack truck, I'd say, I'll take that bet. Because <laughs> he's going to win Michigan. Um, and I think he's going to win Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and Minnesota. Yeah. So the race is performing more or less to form. Um, he should win. I think a few people on the team are pressing the panic button a little prematurely. That was the voice of Zach Joukowsky, who is our political director at the Lincoln Project. Tell people how you're feeling right now. You know, I think at the moment, it's not looking like it's going to be a resounding victory for Biden, which I think a lot of people were expecting. But the thing that I think is encouraging is that there are still several states in play. There are more paths to victory for Biden than Trump. Biden is going to win this thing. It's not going to be the kind of mandate we were hoping for, though. And I think what that means for the future is that Trumpism is not going anywhere. There are going to be a bunch of mini Trumps in 22 and 24. And I think we have to begin preparing for that reality that being said, I do believe that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. Pennsylvania looks strong. Ohio is still in play. Arizona is still in play. Um, but this is a disappointing evening no matter how you spin it, even if we are successful, which I believe we will be. It's 7.39 p.m. right now, mountain time. Who's with you? Lucas Holtz. What does Lucas do? Well, Lucas should should say, but I'm going to say it for him anyway, because he's, he's a humble guy. Lucas is our political operations director, which is a catch-all for all different types of research, logistics. Um, he's one of the whiz kids at the Lincoln Project who gets the data to everybody to make sure we can make the best possible decisions. 
And actually, Lucas, I'd love to hear from you about how we're doing so far in the areas that we were targeting with the demographics we were targeting. Yeah, absolutely. So in Florida, a little bit of a disappointment right there, but um, in seniors that we were targeting and college-educated white voters that we were targeting, um, if the exit polls are true, then we saw a 12-point swing towards Biden among seniors, which is pretty awesome. Historic. Uh, Yeah. Right? Yeah, in Florida. Um, And I believe 14-point swing among college-educated white voters in Florida. You know, we, we targeted a lot of deeper red counties and a lot of counties that Democrats haven't really played in for many, many years. And I, we bumped the points up there, I believe. Uh, it's a little bit of a disappointment right there, but I think that the results that we're seeing are uh, not indicative of the effort that we've, we've put into it right now. So as of right now, the New York Times has called Colorado, Minnesota, Illinois, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Rhode Island, New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, and the District of Columbia for Joe Biden, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia, and South Carolina for Donald Trump. Zach, it looks like Florida is going to be called for Trump. Looks like Texas is still very close. How are you feeling about that? You know, I think... We have seen demographic trends uh, and in voting trends in the, in the Sun Belt accelerated under Trump. And I think this is the frustration is that they are closer than they have ever been in every single one of these states. And we're not going to get there. And, you know, as a North Carolinian, that's, that's deeply disappointing because, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are all the stereotypes about the South, right? And I think that in many ways they're inaccurate, but it seems that we are intent right at the moment on proving them all true. Uh, by continuing to support Trump. This is incredibly disappointing on every single level. I mean, we've had four years to see exactly who this guy is. We all know who he is. And it seems that the, at least the plurality of voting age registered adults um, have just basically decided that they are okay with racism. They are okay with sexism. They are okay with xenophobia. They don't care about their neighbors. They don't have any real value system beyond accruing power and getting what they want. And you know, this is, <laughs> we, we are not a nation in decline. We are a nation that has declined. We are not the superpower anymore. We are not a leader anymore. We should all be ashamed of where we are as a country. You know, I mean, American exceptionalism, what is exceptional about us right now? This is, this is a hard night. I mean, you know, I think Joe Biden's going to win still, but we had an opportunity. You know, they say in politics, never let a good crisis go to waste. We are a country in crisis on so many different levels. And we haven't stepped up. You know, you look at our history, World War I, World War II, um, you know, so many different times where we have risen to the occasion as a people. We have not risen to the occasion tonight and we should all reflect on that. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Biden's going to win. So, <laughs> I mean, look, it's going to be a squeaker, you know, it's going to be tight. He's going to win Pennsylvania. He's going to win Wisconsin. He's going to win Michigan. That's what he needs. Um, you know, huge props to, to their campaign for making sure that they're going to be in a position to get to 270, which I believe they will. Now, we're probably not going to know that until Saturday. And what does that mean? It means that in all likelihood, Trump is going to declare victory. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be confusion. We're going to have an election that very well might not be seen as legitimate by about a quarter to half of the American people. And it didn't have to be this way. But here we are. So Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, what else? 
I mean, there's just a chance in Arizona. There's a chance in Ohio, uh, chance in Iowa. I wouldn't bet on any of these things, and I'll bet on fucking anything. Uh, sorry, <laughs> but um, look, man, I'm, I'm I, you know, yeah. apologies for the language, but this is hard. You know, this, I think yeah. we're all seeing ghosts of 2016. Again, I just want to stress that I don't believe that's where we're going to end up again. But we have had every opportunity to see exactly who Donald Trump is, and it is so devastating to see how many of our countrymen uh, are okay with that who are not concerned about the deadliest health crisis in a, a century, who are not willing to wear a mask, which is not meant to protect you. It's meant to protect others. You know, where, where is the patriotism? Where is the pride? You know? Yeah. How do we, how do after four years, are we still here? Does this election night feel different to you from other election nights on campaigns you've been on? It does and it doesn't. I think that there are shades of 2016. I still remain much more optimistic than I did then. I mean, for you personally. Yeah, I'd say this is every bit as bad as 2016, honestly. Yeah, I mean, what more could Trump have done to show us that he was unfit to be president? I, truly, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that clearly somewhere in the low 40s percentage of the country are going to vote for anyone with an R next to their name. Um. And I think that one of the things that we have to start thinking about and looking at is if you look at the process of, of, of reconstruction, and if you look at the process of denazification, and I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say these things, that is where a plurality of our country is right now. Um, they do not live in the real world. QAnon is something that is continuing to take off and will get worse. The Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, all these militant groups, all these white grievance groups um, are going to continue to grow. And the fight was never going to end tonight, but it is going to get tougher as a result of tonight. We had an opportunity as a country tonight to make a, a big statement about where we're going to go next. You think we've lost that opportunity? Yeah, I think, I think there's no world in which this is a, a full repudiation of Trumpism. I think that people will, if you are an ambitious, uh, shameless individual, and there are plenty of them in the Republican Party currently, you view this as Trump. I mean, you can, you can look at this and say, Trumpism can win. I can get elected president behaving like that. And some of them are going to try. So, you know, you cut off the head of a Hydra and what happens, you get three more. Um, there's going to be a whole bunch of mini Trumps running around. Look at Madison Cawthorn from my home state of North Carolina, a guy who on his bucket list was visiting Hitler's summer home. Uh, a guy who's wow. been accused of, of, of sexually assaulting uh, women, who's 25 years old without a college degree. And he says that he's a real estate investor. But what he means by that is that he has rich parents who bought him a couple of properties that he manages, which means fucking collects rent on. Uh, and that guy's going to Congress. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is openly <laughs> embraced QAnon, is going to Congress. I mean- Where's she from? She's from For Georgia. She's from Northern yeah. Georgia. Um, yeah. You know- one of the things that QAnon believes is that in the halls of Congress, there's an illegal child sex ring. I assume she'll be wandering around TikToking herself, looking for that sex ring in Congress. Uh, are we proud of ourselves right now? Are we happy with where we are? And I don't see how anyone can look at what's going on and say yes. And I mean, we're going to have really the best of every or worst of every world because everyone's going to feel bad about tonight. Republicans, when Trump loses, are not going to believe it and going to freak out. Democrats are going to know that we've sent QAnon people to Congress and that we had an opportunity to emerge from a crisis in a better position and we you know, barely squeaked by. And look, barely squeaking by is better than failing. 
Um, but it's not good enough. And I think we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard and it's a hard night. And, and, you know, for those of y'all listening and, and hearing me for the first time, you probably think I'm like the biggest bummer in the world, <laughs> but I'm normally like a relatively chipper guy. Um, He's the most chipper guy on the political team, I must say. <laughs> but Relentless positivity is, uh, is Zach Tchaikovsky's motto. I'm devastated, man. Yeah. I don't see how anybody could feel anything but that. Yeah. Lucas, how are you feeling? You know, I, I went to this night feeling that we just had to win one of these states that were going to be called early. Um, you know, the Rust Belt states were going to be called, you know, early Wednesday a.m. or possibly after that, um, depending on how many of the votes were called and counted. And, uh, you know, North Carolina is really close right now, 95% in, and it's, it's close. How close? It's like half point. Biden's leading right now. But how many votes is that? It's like uh, 7 million total. By the way, if we win North Carolina, I take every single thing I said before. Back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Seriously though, it's going to be close. The point, of, the point of this episode, guys, was just to give our listeners a peek behind the curtain of what it looks like and what it feels like on election night. And not just any election night, but one of the most important elections in our lifetime. Maybe the most important election in our lifetime. And I think the range of emotions that, um, that we're all feeling is perfectly understandable. It's okay, Zach. Look, it's going to be a, a series of whiplashes, right? Especially if this thing isn't called tonight, which it probably won't be. Um, so that means we're probably looking at a Saturday knowing, uh, yeah, probably around Saturday we'll know for sure. So there will be some incredibly low lows. Um, there will be some high highs. There will be very little in between actually it's just kind of going to be one or the other for potentially the next week or so um we had a how moment do you, how do you feel about the work you've done i'm incredibly proud of the work that i've done you know i felt honestly like my entire career has been building to this moment you know every skill that i've learned every candidate that i've worked for who wasn't particularly impressive but i got better at my job working for the candidates who were impressive that were inspiring and kind of kept me going you know, having the opportunity to learn from the founders, from, you know, my mentors in the past, like Bill Burton and, and Reed um, and Javier Peraza, you know, I, I felt, and I think all of us are going to feel to some degree that this was our moment. And not only were we let down as a people, but we have let ourselves and our peers and our friends down as individuals because, you know, of course, there's going to be some Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, what if we'd focus here instead of there? What if yeah. we'd prioritize this instead of that? What if we'd spent money this way instead of that way? I mean, all those things are going to creep in and we're going to feel all those things because fundamentally what needed to happen for our country to heal has not happened tonight. I was watching all these young people under 29 vote who hadn't voted in 2016 and turning out in large numbers in the early vote. And there, there is a lot that's changing in these states that are going early tonight. Um, they're looking really promising. And I just, I don't want people to give up hope about that. Um, because frankly, this country hopefully is moving in the right direction and there's a lot that needs to change. Um, it might not happen in the next couple of nights. It might not happen in the next couple of years, but I, I think that people need to just keep that fire burning. Um, you know, there, there's been turnout like we haven't seen before. I mean, since 2008. And it's just important. All right. It's 11.05 p.m. 
and we're on Mountain Time. And I'm sitting here with Steve Schmidt and Mike Madrid. Joe Biden just spoke. Mike, what did he say? Joe Biden said to be patient, counseled everybody to be patient. This was after the Arizona call, the Minnesota call, and uh, the numbers look very good in Wisconsin and Michigan. So that gets us to 270 even without Pennsylvania. And Georgia is also in question because it would appear there's over 100,000 ballots that have not been counted. So, Steve, so I just went to find the tweet that Donald Trump sent out like five to 10 minutes ago. Twitter has flagged it and says some or all of the content stated in this tweet is disputed and might be misleading about an election or other civic process. The tweet reads, we are up big, but they are trying to steal the election. We will never let them do it. Votes cannot be cast after the polls are closed. This is exactly what we were afraid he would do. Well, look, at the end here, Joe Biden came out and addressed the country on the precipice of being able to speak to the country for the first time as the president-elect of the United States. Donald Trump will be defeated in this election. We know that the votes need to be counted. When they're counted, that will be ratified. Clearly, you know, we know a couple of things. The polling was off. The polling wasn't off in 2016, contrary to popular mythology, but it was certainly off in this election. We have a moral crisis in this country. Um, you know, I, I look back and I think about in the 1980s and the 1990s and the blowback that came from really the dumbness of the attacks on things like Murphy Brown mixed with the intolerance. But we better figure out as a society to start, how, how do we start talking about culture and character again? Because a, a country cannot endure that cannot differentiate the truth from the lie. It's just as simple as that. And, you know, this, um, you know, this election is going to get the result the country needed, but the, the margin is going to be closer than it, than it should have been. And it's, it's just worrying because he's so profoundly manifestly unfit. It's kind of hard to explain to people how the energy in the room started to change a couple of hours ago when it became clear that this wasn't going to be a blowout, right? And it was almost as if we were mourning the loss of a landslide that did not happen. Well, I don't, I don't know that it's, that it's, that it's not going to look like a very sizable victory. Sure. You know, by the time it's noon tomorrow, you know, but it wasn't over at 10 o'clock. He didn't win Florida. He, Biden may win Georgia. We just, we just we don't, don't know, know. but, don't but know. we saw the red mirage play out and I think we were all intellectually prepared for it, but it's still emotionally jarring. Yeah. Because those numbers, you know, the landslide was never guaranteed. And now we're living through the numbers and not just looking at them on paper. But I think it's fair to say that we were not delivered an absolute and immediate repudiation that the country needed to see. Is that fair? I think that's fair. You think that's fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was not immediate. 
I think that when all the votes are counted, it will be absolute. I, I think the bigger question is how can we still have this many Americans standing up and siding with it? That that's the issue. Is that the landslide would have, I think, begun to say, okay, we figured it out. Apologize for what we did. We saw this day of reckoning. We are we are course correcting. We are reconciling now. and we are figuring this out. This is saying not really. Not not by enough. But I think I think it will be decisive. The numbers are there as long as there is an accurate count and they're going to do everything they can to prevent that from happening. I think that we won't allow that. I think Pennsylvania will go for Joe Biden. I think it will be decisive. I think Georgia ultimately will go for Joe Biden, that will be even more decisive. And I think at that point, you have to start unraveling this and saying, how can we still have this many people, even though this was decisive, it was no 2016, but it's still a flaw in our national character. It just is. There was still a piece of me, despite knowing that Donald Trump's pathology practically dictated he would behave this way tonight, there was still a piece of me that hoped he would not. God, you're an optimist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird not really knowing what questions to ask you. Well, look, the the country has gone through uncertain and decisive moments. You know, and you know, we live in a society and culture where we demand instant gratification, where you put your ATM card in the slot wherever you are in the world and money comes out on the other end and your phone calls whenever, wherever you want. And that's not how this works. You know, this is, there's a lot of votes to be counted, you know, may take a big country. And, but, you know, we know tonight that, you know, it looks good, you know, for Joe Biden to you know, assume the mantle of the president elected the United States. It also means we got a lot more work to do. Don't you think? Trumpism isn't going away. And it wasn't defeated. The takeaway will be that, hey, this is a potent and powerful ideology that can win. It's just we need a we need a more competent messenger. How do you feel about that being the lesson that the Republican Party learns from this, Mike? We needed a we needed to break its back. That would have, I think, given us the opening to say, okay, something can reform on the center right. That, and I don't think that happened. I think Steve is right. It's not going anywhere. You needed to win Texas. You needed to, to crack it like a you know shovel to a serpent's spine, just, just cut in half. That didn't happen. Um, I think the party will continue to be a marginal, regionalized party as we devolve, but it is a strong force. It is not going anywhere, and it will need to be fought vigorously and valiantly and directly, and I think that that's going to be more of our focused charge going forward. Look, I don't think Donald Trump's going anywhere, certainly. He's not going to cower and slink away. He's going to say this was stolen from him. That process has already begun. If uh, we get the American people behind us and we get through the interregnum period whole, he will probably begin the next step and commanding his audience and his followers to continue the disruption that it began as president of the United States. What do you say to people who are going to wake up tomorrow with all of this uncertainty, having seen the violence that's already taking place in Minnesota and the president of the United States, who's 
now, not hypothetically, but in reality, challenging the results? Well, at the end of the day, the person who wins the votes in the states that are going to decide this is going to be the person who's going to be the president. And so everybody should stay calm, stay steady, and let the process play out. I think if we're able to do that, too, there is something that strengthens our institutions. When you've got a president who's speaking out against it, if people do stay calm and the process plays out, the votes are counted, um, that, that gives me some hope about the strength of our institutions. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. I think that's enough for now. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mike. It's almost one o'clock in the morning, mountain time, and Donald Trump just claimed he's won the election and that he's going to go to the Supreme Court to ask them to stop votes from being counted. Donald Trump has not won. We're witnessing a national tragedy. The president of the United States of America in the White House is attempting to steal an election. This election is not over. There are millions of votes that have yet to be counted, and every vote must be counted. In just a couple of hours, people across the country are going to be waking up without a clear winner in this election. It will even take a few days for all the votes to be counted. But we expected this, and we will not allow this bully to shake our confidence. Because the American people will decide who is the next president of the United States. Be patient, stay strong, and trust the process. I'll see you on Friday for our next weekly roundup. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Ron Steslow. This episode was recorded when I hosted The Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.